you just got to do it and that's what i mean but if you have an open mind it's really one of the my biggest pieces of advice for people to be successful when you're in the thick of it you might not know everything but you got to keep going because if you shut down or you're like no this isn't me or this i'm not open to this it's going to be really hard to get ahead because we live in a very fast-paced technology-based era and so you either sink or you go with the flow and i think it's just easier to go with the flow and figure it out when you get there in 2021 women made up over half of all summer associates for the fourth year in a row yet equity partners and multi-tier law firms continue to be disproportionately white men only 22% of equity partners are women we would like to see that change hello and welcome to lawher the show where we celebrate the trailblazing attorneys and entrepreneurs who are changing the game for women in the legal field. Be inspired by their stories, learn from their mistakes, build community, and look forward to the future they're helping build for the next generation of women in law. I am Sonia Palmer, your host and VP of Operations at Rankings, the SEO agency of choice for personal injury lawyers. This is Lawher. West Coast Trial Lawyers is one of the fastest growing firms in California boasting 15 brick and mortar locations. Exponential growth requires omni-channel marketing and an incredible intake team. Associate Liana Kakatrian orchestrates intake for the firm. She manages the intake team and assigns on-call attorneys for 24/7 coverage. Today, we discuss finding the practice area that best suits your lifestyle, how to vet calls, and accepting the cases that fit with the business model. And she explains how doing it messy and figuring out along the way is often the best policy. Here's Liana on when she knew she wanted to be a lawyer. Let's dive in. 8-year-old Liana knew she wanted to go to law school. And I actually can pinpoint the day we had a career day in my 4th grade class. I was 8. I don't know what lawyering is or, you know, at best I knew what doctors are. And so that was my sort of first introduction to being a lawyer and I remember I went home and I was like, "Mom, you can be a lawyer." And she was like, "Okay, great, but I'm sure you'll change your mind a million times." And I haven't. What kind of drew you to the legal space then? The older I got, the more I realized that it is the type of field where there's so many opportunities, right? You can go to law school and go into politics. You can go to law school and become a lawyer, you can become a judge, you know? And the more I started interacting with people who were in the field or in law school, the more I realized that every stage is different. You know, you're in law school, it's one kind of experience. You're out of law school, you're a clerk, you're an extern, whatever it is, it's a different kind of experience and it shapes you as a human being. And when I actually got to law school, it was probably one of the most humbling experiences of my life. I mean, it's a hard journey to get to law school in the first place. And, you know, you're smart, you have to get good grades. And, you know, I just kind of lived my life thinking I'm this hotshot, smart person. And I got to law school and everyone is smart and super, there's like super smart people. Every step of the way, it was what I thought it was going to be. And it has shaped who I am today. And it's taught me so much. And, you know, like I said, it's humbled me. It is, you know, helped me develop tough skin. And I don't know if I'd be able to do that in any other field, really. And we see this progression, kind of like you said, you start in law school, which is sort of a unique education experience. You go on, you clerk, um, sort of an entry level, but then a lot of people go on to own their own firms. And then a lot of people go on to then teach and educate and be professors of law. So you're right, it offers a ton of opportunity in sort of one path. So did you try on different types of law before coming to personal injury? 
as a matter of fact, I mean, I guess my story is kind of funny, but as a matter of fact, I have always said, I will absolutely not do personal injury. Um, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> so I did do a bunch of different things. When I was in law school, the first summer between one and two L, you obviously start applying for uh, externships. And so I met with the district attorney's office in Orange County. They hired me on the spot. They brought me on for the first semester and I was placed at the DNA unit. And I thought, man, this is cool, you know? And I feel like a lot of people, and I I get that a lot, you know, when I interview candidates that come into our firm, uh, when I say, what do you want to do? You know, once you're out of law school, they're like, oh my, criminal law. I'm like, "Mm, okay, (laughs) we all do. And so I thought it was really fun. I went to court and then I kind of started thinking long-term, right? Because you have to put yourself in that position. Is this something I can do? And I realized I'm someone who's really taking these things home with me, right? So some of the things they hear, some of the things they see, and it's just, you're prosecuting people, man. You're seeing some gnarly things to say the least, and you're hearing some terrible things. And I was like, I don't know if I am cut out for this because I get extremely invested in everything that I do. And so, you know, I thought, okay, maybe this isn't what I thought it was going to be. But I stayed on. They actually asked me to stay for another semester. So I was there for a year. So in the summer between two and three L year, uh, one of my professors who I was uh, like a research assistant for, he was friends with Judge Clarkson, who was the federal district court judge in the bankruptcy court. And he said, look, you know, I've, I've shown him your work. He'd love to meet you. Go meet with him. And I thought, okay. So I went in, got the job. So I clerked with him for about a year wasn't really loving bankruptcy, but the experience was just incredible. I mean, I was his basically like right hand person. You know, I did, I reviewed so many documents and I've drafted so many things for him. And that's really what I'm saying, right? That was experience I probably never get in any other kind of capacity. So I did that after law school, I actually got hired at a bankruptcy firm. I did uh, civil litigation and the stars kind of lined up for me. I got a random phone call from West Coast trial lawyers because they saw my old resume from when I was in law school. That was so old that when I came to the interview, I was like, where did you get that? Apparently I had applied as a law clerk, like when I was a second year law school student and somehow the resume just appeared on their desk and I was there and something about the place, something about Nima and Alan just really gravitated me to the firm. And I I thought, okay, if they're willing to take a chance on me, I'll take a chance on them. That is a testament to you because West Coast is one of the highest rated personal injury firms in California. So that's incredible. Yeah. And so when I came in, I thought, wow, this is a really big firm. There's like 30 staff. There's like five attorneys. So I thought, this is cool. You know, we were in downtown. We were in a high rise. Five years later, when I look around, this place has like quadrupled in size. We have our own building. We have over 100 staff, about like 20 attorneys. So it's just, it's been the journey of a lifetime. Yes. Uh, One of the most successful components for a law firm and often one of the most overlooked, of course, is intake. (laughs) And as supervising attorney for intake, I would love to dig into this. Uh, To get a lay of the landscape, what is your role as an intake supervisor? What are those components? I manage our intake team. We are a very high volume law firm. So any phone call that comes in goes to my team. Any conversation they have with facts comes to me. I review it and then we make a decision, yes or no, for now PI and employment because we now do employment as well. I'm the only attorney who gets to do both at this firm. So that's kind of cool. Fun fact, I also said I'll never do employment. And here (laughs) I am. (laughs) 
with employment, it's a little different, of course, because we actually have to review documents and um, text messages and pay stubs and things like that. With PI, it's a little different. It's more fact-based. You know, what happened, their version of the story. Do you have police reports, you know, uh, photos? It's a little bit more real time in the moment. And the hardest part of the job is really that 24-hour day, seven-day week commitment because the reason we are the highest ranked is because we're open 24 hours a day. Calls are constantly coming in. They get forwarded to our team. And so I'm always available. You know, I mean, my phone is never charged. It never has uh, storage. <laughs> That's just the life I live. So, but it's fun. It keeps me on my toes. And I can honestly say I'm the only attorney here who doesn't have the same case the same day twice. It's always something new. I do think as a, such a large firm, a growing firm, a successful firm, your intake process is a key component to that. And then do you... Oh, absolutely. Do you see overseas... It's 15 locations? You do all of them? Yeah. So we do all of them. It's all over the state of California. So we get calls. I mean, we actually get calls from out of state as well. And then, you know, then it's a matter of like, let's direct these people to the right place. And look, it's not just me reviewing documents, right? A lot of times people just want to talk to an attorney. So I can get on the phone and say the same exact thing that my assistant said, and it just resonates differently. So it's a part of the job is also being available to take that phone call. I've taken calls at 2 a.m. I've walked away from dinner to take a call. I've stepped out of a movie to take a call. Like that's part of the business. And that's why we're so successful is because we're all willing to make that kind of a commitment. And that's what the firm landscape looks like. Yeah. Commitment was the exact word I had in my head and you said it. Yeah. (laughs) So do you take cases in addition to all of this responsibility? (laughs) I also, I'm part of the pre-litigation team. So a lot of the cases are split between the three of us. And I take some of them on as well. I handle pretty much all client communications with all of our clients. So at some point in time, I'm touching base with them. I'm giving them their updates. But there are some that I handle exclusively by myself. You have a huge job. It's a really big job. It's the kind of job that I don't think a lot of people know about. I certainly didn't. And so when this opportunity was presented to me, I was like, what? No, I'm not interested. You know, it took a lot of explaining and a lot of seeing Nima's vision because at the time we weren't this big. And I was like, what are you talking about? You want me to sit there and do what? You know, but now I see it because I mean, only I know how much I do and what I do and how much time it takes, you know? And so I get it. I see that the successful firms actually do have these positions. They do have these people who come in. Sometimes they're retired judges that handle it because it's tough. Yes. So my company rankings, we do SEO. So it's lead generation for law firms. So it's kind of hand in hand with intake because as we sort of line them up, intake team knocks them down. Yeah. And you know we have our in-house marketing team. And so a part of my job is really just working with them as well, right? Because it's, it's like, okay, guys, these campaigns are not really working. Um, this is what I'm getting from them. It's a waste of my time. You know, it's a lot of moving parts that have to all align at the same time in the same way for a lead to be a successful lead. Yes. You can see the influx before marketing can. So it makes a lot of sense. And then... How many people do you manage? And if you can share this, what is the volume like? And are you like 24-7 real humans? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. We have 20 attorneys. Some of them are employment. Uh, I think we're 14 or 15 in PI. 
every single day I'll assign an attorney to be, I mean, I, I make a schedule for the month, but every single day someone is on call because sometimes we just have people who call at the same time and I'm one person. I can't do a lot of things. And, you know, sometimes I have my own clients. Sometimes I have meetings that run later. I do a lot of marketing, you know, so I'm one person. There's only so many hours in a day. So, you know, there's a lot of help. The attorneys all are on call, you know, sometimes on weekends, they pitch in, they, they'll take calls and whatnot. So really, it's just a matter of working and supervising the staff, the attorneys and working certainly as a collective, right? If we didn't all get along, I would imagine this would be a nightmare because yes, much more complicated. <laughs> everyone needs to be on the same page. Yes. So with that many cases coming in, you obviously can't take them all. How do you vet the calls that come in? How how do you know when it fits your business model? Not everyone is calling you for either PI or employment. Sometimes people just Google and the first firm that comes up, they see the ranking, they're like, let me call. With the calls that are about something that we don't handle in our firm, you know, right away. Right. And so, but then it's like, okay, you still want to be nice to them. You want to guide them in the, in the right direction. So those calls are usually relatively quick. The ones that are sometimes tough are the ones where there could have been a good case and the potential client may be screwed up by calling us a year later. It happens. Or, you know, they've tried to handle the claim on their own and they've been given bad advice by someone, don't hire a lawyer, they're all sleazy, you know? And then they realize, well, uh-oh, now I'm being taken advantage of. And so then they call, but it's like, you, you've done so much that there would be no way for me to get you out of that hole. And those are really tough conversations to have. The toughest really are the ones where there's been a fatality and there's no coverage. Somebody was at fault, somebody was negligent, they didn't have insurance, somebody died, the family's gone. And that's another component to this, right? It's having that emotional intelligence to sit down with these people and explain so that they feel like they've been heard and they understand why you can't help them, you know? And to the extent that I can, I always try to. If there's someone that I know that may, there might be even a 2% chance that they may be able to help, I'm like, I'll refer you, I'll make the phone call myself, you know? So a big part of this is vetting through these cases. And unfortunately, we, we just can't take them all. Yeah. When you think about like Googling, calling, intake, it's almost clinical hiring. They sound very clinical, but there is absolutely a human element. I don't litigate. And th there's a reason for that. I did some of it. I've done it in law school, some of it after law school. And I was like, look, long term, this isn't my thing. I want to have a family. I want to you know, have kids. And I, I, you know, you never know. You might be in trial for a month. So I don't do that, but that's a different kind of pressure, right? That's deadlines, that's drafting and whatnot. And then this is a different kind of pressure because you are dealing with raw emotion a lot of times. By the time you get to trial, for example, usually it's been years, you know, now you're just kind of dealing with the facts. What I do is I'm dealing with things in the moment. I got a call from someone who had just seen their little sister run over by car. Like, you know, these are conversations that you have to have and sometimes you can't help. And that is emotionally taxing on you. It's emotionally draining on you. And it just really, really sucks for the caller. I love what you just said and taking it back to kind of how you started, which was working for the prosecutor, where just as draining, right? But the difference with PI is that you actually have an opportunity to help them, like really help them, where with prosecution, it's a little bit different. There's way more up in the air. Every case is an opportunity to help someone. And it teaches you. I mean, who knows? Maybe having been at the district attorney's office, maybe that's 
that's why I have done well in, in this position is because I've seen so much and I've kind of learned from so many different incredible people that human component, that human element, which I think is very important. And really, I think that's why a lot of lawyers get a bad rep, rap is because they sometimes become very robotic. And I've spoken to people who are successful on paper, but I'm like, you can't, I can't even talk to you. I think that's what makes us West Coast trial lawyers so different is that every single one of us has empathy and is a good person and is kind. Yeah, your philosophy, I think, is is very well suited for this. So is your team, do you outsource at all or is all in, all in-house? All in-house. We do have an after-hours, you know, call center because it would it really be impossible to <laughs> work 24 hours a day. So we have the after-hours call center, but the team is uh, in-house. They, uh, you know, obviously don't have to be here 24 hours a day. Everything's sort of connected to everyone's like cell phones after hours. It, it's, it is an operation and a half. The velocity with which a case can be vetted and taken on helps determine the pipeline and revenue of the firm. How do you balance the two, sort of like taking the time needed and also like you got to move the case along? What's that balance like? We actually, and I can say this because I have I have friends who ha- have law firms. I've seen how they, what their philosophy is. Um, I've worked at different firms who've done PI, so I've seen it. I can say that here at West Coast, we actually do take our time. So there's none of this like, hurry up, you know, get the-. If I have a client who needs to treat for six months, so be it. You know, the adjuster can wait. I don't care. Because legally speaking, once I have a client sign that release, we're done, you know. And if this person is still in pain, still experiencing any kind of pain levels or symptomology, I'd be committing malpractice if I'm just rushing this thing along to get paid and get them out of my way. And I think this is why personal injury attorneys especially get that reputation for being ambulance chasers, right? Because it's quick. It's like a mill, like get them in, get them out. I have cases on my desk with people over a year who have treated, right? Because they have serious injuries and I'm not a doctor. I can't tell them when to stop treating. And so I wait for the medical professionals to do that. So some of the cases are quick because for whatever reason, they're quick, some are not. And so we just kind of let the case kind of roll along. We do our thing, the doctors do theirs, and it really just kind of depends. So there's there's none of this pressure to move cases. Of course, we want to move them, but we also want to do right by our clients. With such a high volume of cases, I wanted to know how West Coast lawyers maintain a positive first impression for each client. It depends because every single person is different. So if I employ the same approach to every single person, someone's not going to be happy. So really, it's just kind of getting a feel for what that specific individual is like. Is this someone who needs the, okay, I'm just going to sit here and listen. Is this someone who needs some tough love? Is this someone who just needs to be, you need to be brutally honest? Because that doesn't work for everyone, right? And I don't mean that in terms of, okay, well, I got to lie and finesse it. No, but you have to figure out what kind of person is coming through your door? What are they looking for, right? Are they looking for this like grand, you know, I'll give you coffee and somewhat. Some people look for that, right? They're like, well, you're not in Beverly Hills. Why would I hire you? Okay, so come over, let me host you and you can see what we're all about. And then some people just come in because they need someone to talk to. They're in trouble. They're, you know, someone's died or someone's really injured and they just need to hear whatever. Each experience I can say is truly different. 
So you have a high level of EQ to be able to sort of evaluate that, particularly when people are having like very terrible days. But as the manager, like as the lead, have you been able to replicate that in your team? Or is this more of just like making sure you hire people that also seem to have high EQ? I can tell you my team is phenomenal. They really are. And I would probably have an easier time if I just hired a bunch of people because it's not an issue. If, if I you know go to Neiman Allen and say, hey, we need more staff, it's never a problem. But I've kept it small. I mean, the intake team itself is like five people and they're all fantastic. Like, I don't know what I would do without a single one of them. I rather put in the extra work, but know that Anytime any of these people meet with a potential client or pick up the phone, it's not going to be a problem because they're that good. And so I believe in quality over quantity. And so like I said, I can have 100 people, but it's probably going to be more work for me. And like if a phone call comes in right now and I'm here, I know it's going to be handled. No problem. I think there are way more benefits to being lean and mean than kind of like you said, to kind of like expand beyond what can be managed. When you have to refer a case out, they're maybe not a fit. How does your team handle that? How do you make sure they're getting flagged and kind of going to the proper places? So sometimes it's a clear referral because we just don't handle that type of law. For other cases that are kind of like on the border or, or they're just not sure, we have uh, several group chats, right? Uh, text messages. And that's what I mean by like 24 hour, right? If I'm not here, I'm still somehow present in their lives. <laughs> so we have one with you know, with all the attorneys, with Nima and Alan and all the bosses. Uh, and then we have a separate one for just myself and the team. The really like high level cases that really just need maybe an extra eye or, you know, maybe it's like going to be a team effort to figure out, is this something that we can handle? Those go to just the main group chat with all the attorneys and we all kind of talk about it and figure it out. Everything else, because that's rare, right? Most of the time, it's just my call. Everything else, they just send a text message and we kind of figure it out via text. They can either refer, decline, whatever needs to happen to that particular potential claim. So if growth continues in three years, what do you see your team looking like? That's a tough one because I know it's going to happen. It has been happening. And there have been months even this year where I was like, man, I'm drowning. But uh, hopefully in three years, maybe we find people who fit. Uh, you know, another thing that I truly believe in is the way to keep employees, staff long term is by making sure that they're well taken care of and they get along with one another, right? There's something to be said about chemistry. And like I said, this team is just, they all get along. The chemistry is great. It all just works. And so I always keep an eye out. I mean, is there someone at the firm that I want to poach? You know, I, I'm kind of always looking and I've done that before. <laughs> so, you know, hopefully in the next three years, I'm sure we're going to need more people. We may even need more attorneys. I don't know. But hopefully it's going to be a continuous rise and I'm always looking. So more just to make sure that you have the right people, maybe regardless of the timing, whether it's now or a year from now, just making sure that you absolutely have that perfect fit. Yeah. And look, this is a really hard position to fill, both from like an attorney uh, standpoint and staff. And so if I come across someone who I think would be phenomenal, we bring them on, you know, I'm, I'm sure I can find something for them to do because we're not going to plateau, right? That we're only just getting started. We're all, only just making a mark. And so we are going to get much larger. We are going to have more cases and we will need these people. So if the right person comes along, I'm always hiring. <laughs> 
So I saw in your A Day in the Life of a Lawyer video on YouTube that it looks like you might. I did. Yeah. It looks like you might work from home a fair amount. Yeah, that was that was during COVID. Um, My working from home days are long over. That was actually, I think, during like peak COVID. And then we had a few, I want to say like six months because extra from kind of when things started going back to normal. Our building was under construction. So we stayed home for a little while longer and we actually came back a year as of yesterday. Oh, wow. So your whole team is back in the office. Yeah. I don't think we have anybody working from home anymore. I'm, we're fully distributed. I work from home. So <laughs> when COVID happened and everybody's like, oh, what are we going to do? And we're like, yeah, we, we were set up. We You'll had be okay. It. So yeah, it's, it's okay. I mean, look, my team and I actually had the easiest transition because like I said, we are sort of working Saturday and Sunday too, not necessarily like in an office setting. But the transition for us at the front was easiest because we had you know, laptops that have all of our software already preloaded. Um, and everything ready to go. So it, it was definitely really hard on like our litigation team, right? Because they don't really take things home. And now it's like you have to take your laptops and computers and files. And it really was a tough time. We thought it was going to be for a month. It ended up being like a year. I can't fathom having to make that transition so swiftly. It took me years to get good at working from home. Just like the small habits and things that you get into, it took years to really get good at. So I can't imagine people having to just, you know, one day you're at the office, the next year from home. Yeah. And, you know, it was a switch one way and a switch the other way. It was like, okay, sometimes I didn't even really know what to do with myself because I'm not used to just being in like jammies all the time. And now I was like rolling out of bed. I'm like, okay, I'm at work now. it It was just, for me, it was very, very weird. And I'm just used to people. I deal with people all day long. And it was just my husband and I until we had the baby. For, for me, it was hard. Yeah. I, I imagine like your position might attract people who are very people-centered, extroverts almost, sort of then have to make them go home because <laughs> of your husband. Like it's, that would be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. It was just very weird. I mean, thank God we weren't one of those couples who couldn't make it through COVID. Thank God. But uh, it, it was challenging in the beginning because it was like, okay, you go work there. I'll take this side of the house. It was just weird. I'm glad to be back. Yeah. You know, you're sort of always on. You're always at work. You're taking these calls. You're managing the team. You're leading the whole thing. You're a lawyer. And you have a baby and a husband. How do you take care of yourself? How do you manage all of this and still stay very effective at your job? I don't know if I have the answer to that because I'm still trying to figure it out. I was definitely really, really good at time management before the baby. You know, COVID was a very weird time for me because we're, like I said, we're working from home and then I got pregnant. And so that was kind of nice. I mean, that was a perk. Like I, I got to do my thing in peace and quiet from the comfort of my own home. But then when we transitioned back, like it was a big transition for me because it wasn't just now I'm going back to the office, now I'm leaving a little human behind. And so now on top of everything and transitioning back, I had to figure out how to deal with the mom guilt on top of all those things. So I don't know if I have really a good grasp at how I take care of myself. Some weeks I'm really successful. I go to the gym, you know, I I hired a trainer recently. A lot of times when you're driving home, you're exhausted, right? And like by the time I get home, my daughter's up from her nap. And so for her, it's like, okay, great. Mom's home. So I only really have a few hours with her before she goes down for bed. 
And so it's just cramming all of those things in, like making sure that she feels like she has my full attention, making sure that I've had like a second to sit down and not talk to anyone for a minute. I don't have the formula because I don't think I have the answers yet. Some days are good. Some weeks are great. Others are just a complete nightmare. I'm a work in progress. Aren't we all? I hope so. Look, I hope everyone acknowledges and accepts the fact that we all have something to learn and and better ourselves every single day. Yes, absolutely. So what is next for you and your firm? I really think we're at, at a place where the sky's the limit. Nima Romani really has a vision and it's so different than other firms and it's so different than so many other bosses, partners, presidents, whatever you want to call them. I think anything that they put their mind to, we can achieve because he's got a fantastic team. He's got people that are really loyal to him, you know, and he's got people like myself who really never say no. So if I need to be on TikTok doing things that I don't even understand, I'm there, you know, I'll be there. So I think that we're just starting to leave our mark. And I think sometimes when a firm is positioned somewhat like yours is, where, like you said, the sky is the limit, that does sometimes make knowing which direction, because you can go in any direction, really, which one's best. Yeah. And it's just like Nima knows I'm all in, you know? And so first it was Instagram, then it was these like YouTube videos. Now it's TikTok. And, and so in the very beginning, a podcast, yeah, now we're doing podcasts. <laughs> I forgot. I didn't really understand TikTok for me. I downloaded the app during COVID because I was bored out of my mind and I would just kind of scroll through it. And I was like, everyone's out here like doing dumb things. How embarrassing. <laughs> and then when we started doing them, my husband was like, Hey, it's kind of embarrassing. What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't get it. It's something called a trend, but we're doing them and uh, it, it works. It really works. And I think you have to be flexible enough to go with the flow and go with the times, right? Because once upon a time, Facebook was huge. Who even uses that anymore? Yeah, we have billboards, but do they really do what TikTok can do and does, you know? <laughs> yes. TikTok being digital, um, I think you have intent there. Where with a billboard, there's no intent, you know, like you're kind of being displayed to everybody, regardless of whether or not they've been in an accident or needing a lawyer. Or TikTok, if they found you, odds are they need a lawyer or... Exactly, exactly. But even, you know, some of our videos are not necessarily car accident geared or personal injury centered. You know, they're just, sometimes they're just fun videos. And so many times people are like, I follow you because you guys are hysterical. And then we'll get the call like, hey, I remembered because I was in an accident. I, I, I thought of these guys. I think stagnation in any business, if you're not willing to adapt to new trends, no matter how kind of like silly you might think they are, that's a very quick way to kind of like lose your hold. I was the opposite with TikTok. I downloaded it and immediately was obsessed with it. And then like two months later, I was like, you know what? Nope, because you're taking over my life. So I'm deleting you. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved it. But I was like, I don't get like... Why is everybody, you know, what, what were some of the trends during? It was just very weird things during COVID, you know? And like, I didn't understand, but I thought this is hysterical. Never in a million years did I think I'd be on TikTok. But, you know, here we are. So look, you have to be able to laugh at yourself, whether you're an attorney, it doesn't matter. We're all people. We're all here doing our job, trying to make money. And you just have to have a sense of humor. You can't take yourself too seriously. Yes, I, I think that is very, very wise advice. Uh, what are some other things you're optimistic about? Any bright spots you see in the future? In terms of work, I'm just looking forward to the next chapter, like to see where where we're going to end up. I mean, is it a TV show? Is it a huge podcast? I mean, who knows? 
I think we're going places and I'm really excited to be a part of the journey. Yeah, I, I like your attitude, sort of like in the thick of it, in the weeds, not really knowing, but doing it anyways. You know, sometimes you just got to do it anyways. You just got to do it. And that's what I mean. But if you have an open mind, it's really one of the my biggest pieces of advice for people to be successful. Because if you shut down or you're like, no, this isn't me or this, I'm not open to this. It's going to be really hard to get ahead because we live in a very fast-paced, technology-based era. And so you either sink or you go with the flow. And I think it's just easier to go with the flow and figure it out when you get there. If you were not a lawyer, what would you be? Oh, this is easy. I get asked this all the time. (laughs) And so my answer is, if I had the patients for med school, I would absolutely be a plastic surgeon. I, the gory the cert I love it there's something about it that I just sit there in front of the TV and I'm like it's so cool if you are still figuring out how to juggle your life being a lawyer managing a team being present for your family caring for yourself and maybe even leaving room for fun that's okay figure it out as you go you will find your way a huge thank you to Liana for sharing her story and unbelievable insights with us today you have been listening to Law Her with me Sonia Palmer For more about Liana, check out our show notes. And while you're there, please leave us a review or a five-star rating. It really goes a long way for others to discover the show. And if you want to know more about the nuts and bolts of marketing with West Coast Trial Lawyers, check out episode 144 of Personal Injury Mastermind with Chris Dreyer. And I will see you next week on Laher, where we'll shed light on how another of the brightest and boldest women in the legal industry climbed to the top of her field. (laughs) 